Hello, everybody. This is the second recording of what I like to call the Vampire, so that people who are unaware of all things Vampire the Masquerade can have a little bit of a background history, informational to a potentially complex game and setting uh, with people who know it better than I do. Uh, today I have uh, Chris the Primogen, who runs a YouTube channel and has a whole bunch of lore knowledge that I don't have, so I brought him on to talk about it a little bit. Uh, thank you for having me here. It's really great, and uh, I think the only reason I would have that lore knowledge is because I've been nose-deep in these books for the last almost two years now, so I, I guess it's starting to rub off on me a little bit. Something has stuck somewhere along the line. Yeah, a little bit. I think this is a game about... Like, Don't quote me on this, but I think this is about vampires. Well... Yes, I I feel like that might be true. Only because it's like the first word in the name. That's got to be important, right? Yeah, I mean, it could be a red herring, but I'm pretty sure it's about vampires at this point. <laughs> uh, you said you have only been like nose deep for like two years. What else? Yeah, what, I mean, done? what brought you into vampire? Who are you and why? Yeah. Why are you a sucker for Vampire? Uh, wow. Well, I did start with Vampire way back when I was... It's a little bit muddled, but I think I was 13 or 14, because I think Revised Edition Vampire had just gotten out, or at least it had just gotten out in Sweden, and that was 98, I think. And um, I was visiting my local game store, as I want to do, and I saw the Green Marble cover. I was like... I don't know what that is. And I looked through it and I was like, this seems pretty cool. So I got that one and Star Wars, the West End, uh, West End Games. Now, uh, I don't even recall what that game is called. You can tell which one stuck with me. And um, after a while, I found some people to play with. And I think I played it pretty regularly up until I was somewhere around 18 or 19. Then I took a really huge break from it, which I think also coincided with uh, the end of the old Lion of World of Darkness, and when they started doing the new World of Darkness, which is now the Chronicles of Darkness. Uh, and I came back to it about two years ago. Like, I've been dipping my toes every now and then reading some news and stuff. But I actually got back into it because I read that Bloodlines 2 was in production. I was like, ah, oh, Vampire. I remember that game. It was pretty fun. Um, and I would go to the wiki and read a bunch of stuff there. And I was like, ah, I, I just realized there are no lore channels that have videos shorter than 30 minutes exaggerating a little bit so i figured ah, i'm gonna start making like really small bite-sized videos on specific types of lore and that's where it started i was also really bored that specific summer so that probably helped a lot boredom can be a great motivator oh for sure, for sure my first exposure to vampire was back in high school i believe i was a senior and a friend of mine invited me over their house to a party and then it turned out it was a larp Ooh, he, he tricked you into a LARP. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what's going on. That is, uh, that's, uh, that's ballsy. <laughs> Man, I can't even imagine being tricked into going, like, uh, was it, uh, was it with a lot of people or was it like a local, small, smaller thing? I want to say there was more than 20 people there. Oh I don't know specifically, but I know that like somebody walked by with doing the arms crossed obfuscate thing. And I was like, Hey, hey what's up? And it's like, Oh, okay. Clearly out of my element here. That's gotta have been horrifying. <laughs> that whole experience. Thankfully I was aware of like D and D and stuff by then, but like, 
Surprise. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, that, that does sound um, like an interesting introduction. Absolutely. I, I think I did, I did some role playing earlier on. Like I know I played a Swedish role playing game called Mutant, uh, which has not, has a very vague uh, connection to Mutant Chronicles, which is a game that was released in the nineties. Um, and I also played some Lord of the Rings, which was done with the, oh god, what was it called? The Role Master system, which I don't think is around anymore. Which had, uh, which is, might be. I think it's infamous for having a damage chart for birth, um, birth trauma. So that's the kind of game that was. Well, that's certainly, that's certainly a thing. Thanks. But yeah, I mean, uh, high school, that kind of time is the perfect time for vampire. It is the 90s were a time of, of edginess and or even early uh, 2000s. Oh, I definitely spent my time in that phase. And then I spent like seven to 10 years going to a local goth industrial club like every week. Oh, man, that's perfect. Like I was telling you before, I grew up in a really rural area. So for me, like... Being being goth, which I was at a time, was mostly just hanging in the smoking square at school with the other goth kids and be like, yeah, it's kind of like the kids in South Park, you know, that, that's the level of where we were. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. I was too, lazy, like, to do all, uh, I was too lazy to do all the makeup and stuff, but, you and know. As long as you're goth and soul, that's all that matters. What soul? And then you listen to, listen to the right music as well. Yeah, what soul? <laughs> Oh man, some vampire stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's it's, super it's, cool. It is, it is. I was listening to your. Uh, I was listening to. This is gonna. This is coming out after the first session, right? Or is it coming out before? Uh, a little inside baseball. My plan is to do this episode, the mechanics episode. Uh, I'm gonna do an introduction so that it's like, hey, this is us as a podcast. This is a little bit about who we are, what we do, how we do, and then episode one of the actual uh thing yeah that's good stuff that's a great way to get people in um on the ball for what's going on in the game yeah that's that's my plan that's my hope because uh we have done Shadowrun, we have done call of cthulhu we have done alien um great this is that one alien's so good did you play the um, uh what's it called Uh, destroyer of worlds yeah. Uh, oh no, I played Chariot of Chariot of the Stars. I think the other one. We did that one, 2019 Halloween. We just so finished good. Destroyer of Worlds this past Halloween. Oh, that's cool. I got to tune in and listen to that because I've I've had a blast with uh, Chariot of the of the Gods. That's the one. Yeah. How long did it take you to finish it? Ooh, uh, three sessions, I'd say. Uh, but my players were all like really into um, arguing with each other in character, so it took way longer than uh, than I think they planned it to take. I, you know what, it took us about that amount of time too. But like Alien, you guys, your products are great, your systems are great. Just yeah, absolutely amazing. Pay a little bit more attention to how long it takes you to do these things, because telling me that this yeah. is a four-hour thing is a lie. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like, I don't know what group would do that in four hours, but uh, I mean, I'm I'm also running it over text, uh, play by post, and we started, I would say, three months ago, four months ago, and I mean, we haven't even gotten to the second act yet. We play once a week. <laughs> Oof. But vampires. 
in vampires. Yes. Um, I guess we should start a little bit from the beginning. How far back do you want to go? Like uh, the origin of vampires or? Uh, I feel like the cliff notes on that part of things or like what is known because there is, there is complications around the origin of vampires as should surprise no one. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there is the unreliable narrator, which I think everyone should get familiar with if they're getting into anything World of Darkness related, is that literally everyone is lying in this setting to some degree. Or at least they believe that they're right, but they're probably not right. Um, But if you want to go through really briefly the history of vampires, uh, which is of course not true necessarily. This is the... Even a lot of vampires don't believe in this story. But it is commonly held uh, that Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, uh, when he murdered his brother, when he murdered Abel, uh, he was cursed by God. And that curse was, uh, in a sense, vampirism. I mean, there's a whole lot more to that. There are some actually really well done in lore books about it. But the long and short of it is that he got turned into a vampire and he uh, eventually started creating more vampires. And in the process of doing so, he established uh, a city uh, that where basically vampires ruled over humans. And um, really long story short, his grandchild, or child is the term of your vampiric child, the one that you've created out of a human, his grandchild, which are called the third generation or the antediluvians, uh, pre-deluge, the pre-Noah's pre, um, Ark thing, they rose up and killed their sires, their creators, Cain's childer. So, so they killed their parents and Cain got really, I mean, understandably pretty ticked off about this. So he kind of left them behind. And these 13, hypothetically 13, we don't really know how many they were, um, grandchildren of Cain, these antediluvians, they went on to create their own lineages of vampires. And each one of these uh, founders created their own clan, basically. And... Um, you fast forward a couple of thousand years and you've got 13 clans, 13 big clans and some, some minor bloodlines. You can just stop me at any time if you, if you want me to elaborate. Uh, I'm really skipping a lot of stuff, though. But Well, good news. If they wish more specific information along this line, there is a YouTube channel that yeah, they can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. I've definitely covered that part a, a few times. I haven't, I haven't dipped my toes into Dark Ages too much, but if you want to, if you want to hear the, the whole fancy story about Kane and stuff, definitely got some episodes on my channel for that. But it, it kind of came to its peak, um, in the 1400s, I believe, um, because the world was getting smaller. Uh, humanity was getting uh, more in pretty much every way and a lot of younger vampires got pretty ticked off that they were basically being shoved around by their elders this is a major theme in vampire that it's a giant pyramid scheme that you can never get out of unless you create someone younger than yourself that you can push around so there was this whole anarch revolt that happened which eventually kind of fizzled out because uh, of the formation of an organization called the Camarilla which is uh, seven clans essentially saying, all right, so uh, every city is going to have a prince. This prince is going to rule the city. Every The, the city is the, the prince's domain. And uh, every vampire has followed these six traditions, these rules. And these so-called anarchs, the young vampires who had risen up against the elders, they, most of them agreed to this because they were essentially losing the war over time. But a small group of them didn't, and they formed what would later become the Sabbat, which is this uh, army 
whose main purpose is to eventually destroy the antediluvians and their puppets because that was their entire thing they wanted to be free of the control of their elders and who's the oldest but Cain who's not around and his grandchilder who may or may not be around however the tools of the elders usually happens to be those seven other clans that form the Camarilla oh yes absolutely the Camarilla is 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 it's this pyramid scheme times a hundred it, it is <laughs> it is uh yeah, yeah, the young one's got the short end of the stick for that one, for sure. It's very true. There are all kinds of wonderful ways for older vampires to control younger ones. Oh, man. Uh, so we mentioned a lot in there. There was yeah, yeah. It was the Convention of Thorns, which there is a specific video for on your channel that was oh, yeah. the yeah. big originating and fracturing point. If memory serves. Yes. So, yeah, the Convention of Thorns was this meeting uh, gathered between more or less every clan was represented there, but only seven clans decided to unite and form the Camarilla. It was held in this very small town in England, um, and it was the birthplace, not birth, birthplace of the Camarilla, because that had been founded a few years back, uh, but the birthplace of the Sabbat, because those Anarchs, as they were called, who decided not to bend the knee to these uh, elder vampires they decided to instead basically militarize themselves and become this constantly growing constantly uh, evolving army of younger vampires murdering their elders a bunch of crazy people that are taking the the worst parts of being a vampire and just kind of letting it run free I mean, yeah, if you're into Camarilla propaganda, that's certainly what they were. <laughs> um, <laughs> jokes aside, uh, I, I would actually argue that um, the core tenets of the Sabbat are actually pretty sound. In If you think about it, they, they wanted freedom. The means they do to achieve this and what the Sabbat has become is certainly very inhumane. Um, and they, they've never actually cared much about humanity. So absolutely inhumane monsters. Um they tend to see human beings as cattle, which the Camarilla does too, but the Camarilla is nicer about it, basically. Yeah, they may make sure the ca- the cattle get fed and the cattle get nice jobs and that they think they're happy, very much like the Matrix. Yeah, where... yeah very, very much so, yeah. Um, I would say you can, you can even look at the Sabbat and the Camarilla as being uh, uh, hunter versus gatherer. Like, gatherers stay in one place, they tend to their herd, they make sure that their animals are well fed while hunters just kind of move from one point to another and just feed of whatever they can find. I mean, exactly. it's, not a, it's not a perfect analogy, but it, it's kind of an interesting um, dichotomy between these two factions. If you don't kill the cattle, you can continue to get milk. Exactly. But the Sabbat is like, we don't care about the cattle. We, we just want instant gratification. Exactly. So they're kind of... They're both inhuman assholes they just do it a little differently yeah I, the sabbat would probably argue that they're more honest <laughs> that's, that's the biggest difference i could 100 percent see that um but we that mentioned i'm oh, sorry yeah sorry we mentioned this convention of thorns and these two factions what was the reason they had to change their modus operandi why they had to have this meeting and try to have these traditions set in stone yeah, that that's a it's a complicated uh, question. There's a lot of different factors. Uh, I, I would say that the primary factor is the 
that uh, the church was essentially becoming a much more prevalent thing all throughout Europe. And with the church, of course, you had people of faith. Now, not every person has the amount of faith that would give them what in this setting is called true faith, which is something that can actually hurt supernatural creatures by their mere presence. Uh, but the church didn't exactly need that just by itself. They decided to have the, uh, um, the uh, uh, I just lost the term, uh, Inquisition, the, the Inquisition. And the Inquisition uh, was formed in order to root out witches and uh, wizards and werewolves and vampires. A lot of times they probably didn't exactly kill vampires. They probably killed mortals who were, you know, blamed for being vampires for no reason. But apparently they killed enough vampires to make the Camarilla kind of get worried. And this was exaggerated by the fact that the Anarchs, as they were called, the, the young vampires staging their revolution, they kind of, um, they sort of really went all out. Like they didn't want to hide their vampiric nature, which of course was something that was being done sort of back then as well. So more and more attention came upon this vampiric underworld, this, this sort of, society within the society and the Camarilla decided that we need this masquerade to hide behind. We need to make sure that humanity actually doesn't believe that we exist. We need to hide in the shadows. We need to feed off them in secret. We need to be the invisible hand that's ruling these stupid cattle. And that's kind of where the title Vampire the Masquerade comes from. You're pretending to be human, masquerading as a as a fellow mortal so you can feed off them in peace. So that you don't spook the cows. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just um, you're a sheep in wolves' clothing, or in cows' clothing, as it were, this time. I mean, a wolf. Did I say sheep in a sheep's clothing? Or? You did. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> um, yeah, I keep getting those things wrong. Yeah, wolf in cows' clothing, I guess, would be the proper. It's a very funny picture. Oh. <laughs> uh... And that was kind of the the foundation of what has come to to pass for many uh, many editions of the game was the the Camarilla had these clans, the Sabat had these clans, and then later on they started to get Anarchs, but not Anarchs like the Sabat, but like Camarilla ish. Yeah, that's people. actually um, the so. It's a little bit it's a little bit interesting how the Camarilla forged their or actually they, they made a, a they made a pact basically forgiving the anarchs for their uprising uh, and allowing them to join the Camarilla without repercussions. So anarchs the anarch movement as it was called was basically absorbed into the Camarilla. And a lot of the people who had actually been anarchs I mean they they decided then and there, like, yeah, okay, I'm not going to fight this war anymore. But they had this revolutionary spirit. And through through history then later, there would always be these smaller groups of anarchs uh, that would form in cities and, and sort of have this... It's, it's difficult to describe exactly what they are in the Camarilla. As it's Earlier editions of Vampire was very much about the young versus the old. That was a very core theme of vampire because it's uh, it's also about like the uh, the loss of like inheriting something that's kind of shitty which i think uh, stems a lot from where the authors of the first edition grew up um that uh, it's this unbridled rage and frustration of being a young person 
forced to forced to do the biddings of your elders with literally no chance of getting you know taking their place in society. So anarchs have been around since the first edition. They they kind of fell to the wayside though in second and third edition because the sabbat got a lot of their spotlight. Um, but in V five, the latest edition of Vampire, they've gone back into the spotlight again, and they've done them they've done them justice in V five much more than they ever did in uh, Revised or V twenty, the previous editions. Yeah, now they're more of like a Camarilla light. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's always sort of been the case with the Anarchs. They're kind of like, yeah, we're we're playing within the rules of the Camarilla, but we we don't like it. And then you had certain extreme cases, like in Los Angeles, you have the Anarch, uh, the Anarch Free States, which is part of California and the coast there. I think they're also in um, Oregon as well as a little bit. And the Anarch Free States is is actually a domain ruled by Anarchs. The Camarilla doesn't have a they, they have a spotty presence in this area, um, but but yeah they're they're sort of Camarilla light. But in in V five they are also the the young ones. They're the vampires who are capable of uh, uh, of of adapting to change because because there's a new Inquisition coming. There the humans are kind of onto them now in V five in the latest edition. So while the Camarilla is unable to 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 deal with the changing times, the Anarchs are young they're flexible they're still almost the same people they were when they were mortals so it's it's gotten back to this whole old versus young again i think uh which is a theme i really enjoy in vampire it's one of those things vampires are creatures frozen in time yes exactly their their bodies revert to the same state that they were when they became a vampire their mind kind of gets stuck in that same kind of thought process. If you were to hand somebody 800 years old a smartphone, they would have no idea what to do with it. Yeah, exactly. Like one thing you really got to think about in this setting is that a lot of the elder vampires, they grew up in a feudal society. To them, it makes perfect sense that you would have a, a, a societal hierarchy that's unchangeable, that you're born into a certain part of society and you will die in a certain part of society. Whereas uh, vampires embraced in the post World War II or post sixties or seventies, they they will inevitably be much more democratically minded, uh, dipl- like in in the sense that they will believe more in the idea that every individual has this base worth, which to many of the older vampires is not the case. They will just go, "No, you're a peasant. That's what." God made you, you know, they're, they're still stuck in that kind of mentality. And it's near impossible for them to get out of it because creatures are, or vampires are creatures of unchanging. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. They are, they are not stagnating so much as they are, um, stasis. They're in a stasis, like you said, and both physically and mentally, they, they do not evolve. They can remember, of course, but uh, a lot of them will fall into almost ridiculously predictable patterns of behavior when they get really old. And not only that, some of them may go into torpor, you know, be, uh, go to sleep for decades at a time so as to just catch a break from the ever-present yeah. hunger. Yeah, th- that's an interesting – there's an interesting segue that, there into something called the jihad in this setting, and that is that the older va- you get as a vampire, the less interested you are in the humdrum, mundane reality of daily life. It, 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 you've seen it all. You've seen people come and go. Even someone dying close to you is 
blasé. It doesn't matter to you anymore. So the only things that matter when you're an old vampire are your rivalries, your your uh, anything that can challenge you. Something that is interesting with both the Camarilla and the Sabbat is that a lot of leaders, both within both factions, are actually old. I wouldn't say friends, but they are old associates. So when they meet, it's not like this young Sabat and Camarilla meet and fight each other. It's more like, oh, we're playing this chess game together, except our pawns are younger vampires. So the Sabat, just like the Camarilla, is being run by older vampires who very much see it as a kind of a very complex game of chess that they just want to win. But they kind of don't want to win because what happens if you win? What happens if you kill the only person who's as old as you are? The only person who could possibly understand you. It's like Batman and the Joker. Exactly. Very good analogy for that. Because once you've defeated the person who has kept you entertained for however long, well, now what? Yeah, exactly. What else is there to it? That's why a lot of vampires also go into torpor because they're like, wake me up in 200 years. I can't can't deal with this anymore. It's like, oh, great. Just think about today's technology and how far things have advanced in the past 20 years yeah just 20 years like i remember pre-smartphones i remember pre-cell phones yeah it's like imagine going to sleep in 1920s during prohibition or for me because i'm american i don't know about yeah i I know i know about yeah same thing yeah Um, like you had a t ford going around like every like that was the only brand of car you had yeah, and then you wake up 100 years later in 2020, and you find out, wait, what? Yeah, like, where do you even start? <laughs> the entire, like, the world map's kind of been rewritten. Um, England's, I mean, England's barely a, an empire. Well, they're not an empire anymore. Uh, all of a sudden, China, of all places, is, is one of the world-leading economies. Like, what just happened? Russia? There was a revolution there. That's what last thing I remember. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like Captain America, but you suck blood. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and you're probably not as good of a person. <laughs> oh, almost assuredly. And I mean, that's also a thing. Like, uh, the older you get, the less these things matter to you. Uh, one of the core themes of vampire is the struggle of retaining your humanity. And if you're not going to retain it, what are you going to replace it with? Because vampires who lose sight of themselves, who lose who they are, will become something called a white which is this mindless blood drinking monster that um, literally needs to be taken down. They can never return to what they were. They're, they're uh, a beast ruled by something called a beast. It's like us as humans. We have, we have goals and desires that we need to do. We go to work because we need to buy food. We need to afford shelter. We need to, uh, I mean, we need to survive. One. Yeah. We yeah. Need to survive, socialize, you know, pursuit of happiness. Yeah. Well, for a vampire, he doesn't really need to eat because he can just grab some dude off the street and just um, have a bite. Certain ones don't even really need shelter because if you have a particular skill in protein, you can just sink into the earth wherever you want. Yeah, exactly. And like during the daytime, you are literally a corpse. You have no sense of comfort. Your body is dead, so you won't get stiff shoulders if you're sleeping, you know, sitting in a or lying down in a garbage bin or whatever you're doing. Exactly. Or you can just mentally dominate somebody into letting you sleep in their basement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, sorry. So you don't really need food. You don't really need 
a place to stay. So what do you like? You don't have to really have a job. Not to mention, if you were to set up some investments that pay off a little bit of interest, well, in two hundred years, because you don't die, well, then you you don't need money anymore. Yeah, exactly. And this is this is also the thing with this whole pyramid scheme thing that the the Camarilla is, and in some regards, is a bot, is that uh, in human society, at least you have this. I wouldn't call it a comfort, but people die. Like older generations will pass away and, and you will be in charge. Your generation at least would be in charge. Not so much in vampiric society. Instead, you're never ever going to catch up unless you're outsmarting the elders. And even if you're outsmarting them in one field, they have uh, people working for them. They have the influence over local politics they have the influence over national politics. Like it's, as you're saying, it's kind of hard to imagine how uh, much like exponentially your power grows when you're a vampire, especially if you're uh, playing it smart. Uh, you're not letting your pride get to you. You keep up with what's happening. You hire, recruit people who will help you with new trends. Like there's no limit. You, some of the richest people in the world are most likely vampires. In this setting. <laughs> in this setting, of course. We're not saying that Elon Musk is a vampire. Or... No, 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 no. Uh, no, if Elon Musk is listening, uh, yeah, I'm sure he's not a vampire. You know what? If he was, that would be very exciting for me. Yeah, I mean, Tw- Elon, if you're, Elon- if you're to give me a call. <laughs> yeah, right? Tweet me. You know, that'll do wonders. Uh, there was a conversation I had a while ago in regards to Shadowrun and elves who are very long-lived. And just like what that means for the society as far as like the corporate world, like elf and non-elf are up for a promotion, right? You've both worked at this corporation for the same amount of time. Like who are they going to promote? Well, they'll probably promote the elf because he's going to give you a lot more bang for your buck because in 50 years, human is retiring, air quotes. Yeah, if he lives that long, yeah. Exactly. Whereas the elf, well, the elf is going to be around for hundreds of years. Let's keep yeah. him. Yeah, exactly. And, and that happens the... again and again, and suddenly your regional down are all elves. Yeah, and uh, there's a couple of different ways that elders go around go about doing this. Like, obviously, an elder, like we mentioned, their brain gets kind of frozen in time, in a in a sense. So maybe this elder was embraced, as it's called, when you turn into a vampire before the stock market was a thing. Well, once the stock market becomes a thing, and they realize I don't understand any of this at all, but I want to make money because I understand money. They can. Uh, of course, hire people. Like you said, people only live for so long. And they're kind of maybe not very hot on the idea of embracing, like creating another vampire. Because when you create another vampire, you're creating this entire future headache. Um, so they will instead ghoul them. They will turn them into a ghoul, which is when a vampire feeds a mortal their blood. It doesn't have to be a lot of blood. But it gives uh, this ghoul then. It, it, it also makes this ghoul essentially stop aging. It gives them a lot of advantages that vampires have without a lot of the disadvantages. They can walk in sunlight. Uh, they can technically have children, sort of. I have a video on this. Not not you know, not in particular the making children part, but about ghouls. Um, and it, it's an interesting thing because when you're fed vampiric blood, that also creates something called a blood bond. And a blood bond at the first level, which is when you 
give someone your blood the first time is not too bad. You will maybe find yourself daydreaming about this person, thinking about them when you're not thinking about anything in particular, the person that gave you blood, the vampire in this regard. Um, but if you've been given blood three times within the span of uh, a short amount of time, you will be bonded to this vampire so powerfully that they will be the single most important person in your life. Nothing matters to you as much as the happiness and well-being of this uh, vampire. And this kind of super obsession, you become their biggest fan, um, can have some downsides. Uh, people kind of go a little bit weird when they get to this point. They stop thinking reasonably or, or rationally when they're blood bonded. But on the other hand, they will also absolutely take a bullet for you. N no question about it. Well, gladly. But then they might also think, huh, the best way to protect you is to lock you in the basement and just leave you down there and I'll feed you blood through a pipe. Don't worry about it. You'll be perfectly safe here. It's that like AI problem, right? Where you give yeah, them the three yeah. laws of robotics and it's like, well, the best way for me to protect humanity is to make sure humanity doesn't do anything dangerous. Yeah, exactly. So on the other hand, a lot of vampires also get lonely at some point. Um, and uh, they might find in a human, they might see in a human who they were when they were a human. Or they might see an old lover or they might see a potential person who could do better than them. It's kind of like how people project onto their children that they want their children to do what they did but better and be successful at it with the added advantage of you can actually find a person who did what you were doing but better and turn them into a vampire. The downside, of course, is that every bird has to leave its nest and a lot of sires, the people who create or the vampires who create a, a child, childer, tend to have a very problematic relationship with an adult who they now consider sort of their child and this relationship can often become quite infected over time. They treat them kind of as property. It's like, I, I made yeah. a vampire. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's even in the traditions and the laws of vampiric society that um, until a child or until a fledgling, as they're called, is deemed um, independent or, 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 well-versed enough in this society to be on their own, they are the responsibility of their sire. So if you turn me into a vampire and I go out and kill three mortals by draining them of blood, that would be your fault and um, your responsibility. So that it, it really is a kind of weird parent-child relationship, but with another adult and you can write books on shitty sires and shitty relationships with sires because that's that's a very common theme in vampire, which I think makes perfect sense if you consider the circumstances of how people are turning to vampires. Oh, one hundred percent. There are some that even rather than treating them as a parent-child relationship, as a owner-property relationship. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, that might actually even be better. If you went for an employee-employer relationship, that would probably be the easiest, even if that gives you less control over them, I suppose. But uh, one of the things I think we might as well get out of the way now is that vampires are still people. They're just dead people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're 
there's still the people they were when they died. And I mentioned this to another person I was talking to recently that, uh, in my opinion, the funniest part about vampires is, uh, is that they're all kind of LARPing in a sense. Because every single vampire has been immortal at one point. Um, and they had, you know, every single vampire has been a baby at one point. They're, they're human in that regard. And, um, it's kind of funny to imagine how, like they've convinced themselves that it's kind of a masquerade to themselves as well. Like they're pretending to be something they might not be. Um, the Sabbat has the, has these complex, complex blood rituals, but really, I mean, they're just kind of psyching themselves up so they can go out on a killing spree, uh, kind of like, you know, a sports team pregame yeah. <laughs> in that regard. Um, and they're also very vulnerable. I figured it out. The Sabbat are just soccer hooligans. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're they're like it, it was a good game or it was a bad game. Doesn't matter. We're out here breaking shit afterwards anyway. We're gonna riot. We're gonna get drunk, and we're gonna have a mess. Yeah, and um, like that's also one of the the great aspects of talking about humanity is that um, a lot of vampires are struggling with the fact that they are. I mean, they are dead. Uh, a lot of the emotions they felt when they were mortal, they don't feel anymore. They don't have hormones. Uh, they don't have any glands that are working, but the ghosts of these emotions will still be around. So he, the lo- the slow loss of humanity that we've talked about before is more or less that your body's getting used to you not having emotions. And you will find some really, really old vampires. They forget how to blink they forget these little moves you do, these little ticks. They don't have any of that. They're like statues. One of the one of my players is recently embraced, and then like a couple of days later, like in game time, obviously, uh, yeah. they use the blush of life, and I described it as a thunderous pounding inside their head as their heart begins to beat yeah. that we don't hear anymore because our brains tune it out. That's but a if great you were, example. If you were to not hear that for a couple of days, and all of a sudden it ticks back on, it's like, oh shit! Yeah, it's super distracting. I I really love uh, the blush of life, as that that was previously not a thing. Uh, it wasn't really not that worked out, but now like you get a pulse, you fake breathing. Like it's, I think that's a little bit of a retcon to how it used to be. Because it was it used to be pretty basic, like uh, it was. It was used to be described as something that where you very consciously, pardon me, very consciously did this um, and kind of forced things to happen. And I feel like in V five, uh, the blush of life is more of a supernatural uh, power that you're you're bringing your body back to this illusion of life, which I think is really neat. Yeah, it's. Uh... It helps to keep people safe, as it were, because if I'm a vampire hunter, member of the Second Inquisition or any of the other groups out there that are doing it, all I need is one of those laser thermometers that are so popular nowadays or the thermal (laughs) cameras. And I just scan that over a crowd. And if you show up as more or less room temperature and that room temperature is in 98 degrees, yeah, there's a yeah. questions to be asked there. Yeah, and that's also a thing with humanity is that the lower your humanity gets, the harder it is for you to pretend to be human. 
uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm very bad with rules, so I'm not sure if that actually affects bluff, blush of life in any regard. Um, I believe I it. Humanity four, you can't blush of life at all. There, there you go, and that that that's made for a purpose. That once you're at humanity four, you are like you start at hu- roughly humanity seven. That would be your basic humanity. Um, you're not okay with stealing. Definitely not okay with murder. Um, you don't like. You're a norm, fairly average, morally inclined human being. At humanity six, you would be fine with petty theft. That would not be a problem for you. So humanity four, that's the point where you're like, ah, oof, I accidentally killed this person. Well, that sucks. Dump oh, them well. in the bin. Walk yeah, away. exactly. Walk away. So at that point, it's you can't even force yourself to care enough to activate blush of life. He was like, oh, I'm not human anymore. Oh, well. Their petty morals do not appeal to me anymore. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's something that's changed a little bit because in previous editions, uh, the Sabbat obviously had a huge problem with this. They would very quickly lose their humanity because that was part of the whole thing. Like they were even, they have a, they have a ritual that they do uh, where they embrace a whole bunch of people and they bury them under six feet of dirt, six feet of dirt. And then these newly embraced vampires have to dig their way out of their own graves and they're called shovel heads. And this is like a war tactic that Sabat does. And this kind of thing is sort of a trigger for, for basically saying you're not human anymore. Uh, you're a monster. You're a monster in our army and we're going to, you, you're out for, you're going for war. And eventually, of course, a lot of these vampires will turn into whites because they just can't keep their minds anymore. So there used to be these uh, alternative morals called paths. Very, very varying, of course. They held different values. But essentially, you're abandoning your mortal values, your your humanitas. You're abandoning that for, say, um, the Tsimitsi, the shapeshifters. They would believe that uh, knowledge over your body is more important than anything else. Um, complete disregard of moral mortal laws and morality because you're not mortal anymore those rules don't apply to you and and that was one of the biggest role-playing challenges of the time that you had to sort of force yourself into this kind of alien mindset to be like all right i'm not human at all i can't think like a human this situation how I, i can't act like a human would have acted i need to act like a person on this path should act Lots of challenges in that regard. Yeah, you can still sort of do that, but they're not in the books. But that's also because you're supposed to be playing younger vampires in V5. Um, yeah. We'll see what happens in the Sapat book that's coming okay. out eventually. Looking forward to it. Uh, cautiously optimistic. I would I would say I'm 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 fairly optimistic. Um, I really enjoyed the Onyx Path books that were released. Uh, Onyx Path did the Chicago by Night and those associated books and Calls of the Blood Gods, which is coming out in physical form very soon, um, at least at the time of this recording. Uh, Modifius did uh, Fall of London and was supposed to do a whole bunch more, but they never did. Uh, so yeah. I, I don't know about that. And uh, the people who wrote the original V5 stuff, some of them are still on in some regards. I know that there was a lot of different people associated, but... Um, I mean, they've they've hired a they've hired a lot of new people onto the crowd, and I think they're doing in-house stuff now. Uh, World of Darkness—they've rebranded from White Wolf. So, I mean, I'm I'm optimistic. 
foolishly perhaps, but I'm looking forward to what they're going to make. Yeah, I'm excited to see what's going to happen, but it's one of those things where it's like, all right, these were the... You're already playing a game of edgy snowflakes, and this was like the evil, super edgy, super snowflake flavors. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like... Yeah, the Sabbat... Sorry, I just... I was drinking and I got in the wrong wrong pipe. But the Sabbat, absolutely. I think you're kind of opening a can of worm, like you're saying. Kind of worms. Because the Sabbat vampire kind of I wouldn't I wouldn't use the term devolved because that's kind of mean and I myself really enjoyed playing Sabat. But Vampire went more and more away from the themes of the first edition, which was of course the loss of humanity, uh, the struggle of old and young, and the inevitable idea that <clears throat> even even people you looked up to in, to in the vampire community, even leaders of the anarchs were in the end controlled by their elders. Like yeah. everyone was controlled in some regard. And then Vampire kind of drifted away from that idea a little bit and what was became much more about like the Sabbat versus the Camarilla, where the Camarilla almost became the good guys. Or it was it was more like good guys versus anti heroes. I I don't know. It sort of really got muddled somewhere and revised, I think. They became the less bad bad guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and at that point, there was no need for the Anarchs because the Anarchs were basically the Camarilla. So, so the Anarchs were kind of thrown to the side for quite a while. Yeah. Oh, man. Tangents and sides and hopefully a bunch of useful <laughs> information for people. I hope so, yeah. Um, it's a wormhole, too. I mean, it's a rabbit oh, hole, it's, I guess, yeah. It, but it does it, pull you in. <laughs> it's what happens when your game is almost 30 years old. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, if this game is still around in 30 years, I, I'm kind of wondering what, where it's going to go. But I'm very happy with the latest edition of it. Cyber vampires. I mean, that's sort of already a thing. They did the um, World of Future Darkness, which was set to take place in 2020, I believe. Whoops. Um, I would not recommend you go find that book, though. It's uh, it's not very good. The... Uh trying to think how I want to segue this. So we've mentioned briefly about how the Camarilla runs cities through princes. And yeah. the prince is generally the the most powerful, most influential, most uh, biggest badass in the city, sort of. Yeah. Uh, the prince... I guess the easiest way to look at the Camarilla structure is to imagine... Um, that the Camarilla itself is like the Christian church of the, of the Middle Ages. <clears throat> and each city is its own uh, country, its own uh, kingdom. And the Camarilla doesn't really care too much about the daily happenings in whatever city, whatever backwater little shit town that you're living in, in the game. Um, but if, if suddenly it turns out that this prince of the city, who is, the self-proclaimed prince. Anyone can be. Anyone can say that I'm the the prince, but they got to back it up because that's called declaring praxis. And if you declare praxis of a city, you got to be ready to defend that. So oftentimes it's the strongest, the biggest, the baddest to become the prince. But sometimes nobody wants to become the prince, so anyone can can take it. But if it comes out that the prince is 
so utterly incompetent that the Sabbat has been building an army under his nose or that she has allowed for uh, multiple masquerade breaches or that she's or they are housing um, so-called red listers, which are these vampires hunted by the Camarilla because they're too dangerous to be left alive. Then the Camarilla can go in and act. They can send in their Justicars, their Archons and be like, all right, we're going to we're going to investigate what you're up to. But most of the time, the Camarilla practices a hands-off approach uh, because they don't have the resources or the interest to care what happens in every city at all times. Yeah, they have these Justicars and these Archons who are super old, super badass vampires, but they only have so many. Yeah, yeah. They're like the secret police in a sense. Um, each clan has their own Justicar, a representative chosen uh, by the inner circle, the inner leadership of the Camarilla. And then these Justicars in turn can appoint Archons and they can essentially have how many Archons they want. There's no limit to it. And these Archons in turn can travel around, gather information, do interviews. If you're, if you played, uh, if you played Warhammer 40k in any regards, there, there's the Inquisition in Warhammer 40k and they are kind of like the Justicars, uh, not quite with that amount of authority, but they also have their, uh, they have their assistants who will do all the dirty work for them. They're the, the Archons in this regard. If you're a prince, you do not want either of them in your city because it absolutely means not. Yeah. It's, it it's bad something time. Something has gone wrong. Yeah. Uh, as a little bit of history and background on our city, our fake Springfield, mm-hmm. um, about 25 years ago, it was, well, up till about 25 years ago, it was run by a prince, Samuel Abel Cartwright. Uh, he is of Clan Ventru, who are the clan that like to think of themselves as the ones that should be in charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Funny how they end up mostly as the people running the cities. Yeah, I mean they're called the Blue Bloods. They're the only ones who 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 want <laughs> who usually want to be in charge, even in the worst <laughs> situations. Exactly. Um, but Samuel was one of those older vampires that believed in the more feudal systems, and he ruled with an iron fang, as I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. when we were talking elsewhere. Um, However, about 25 years ago, some of the younger vampires started to get a little uppity about it. Uh, they would be more of the, the Anarchs, not quite the Sabbat, but the, we want more freedom. We don't want to have to, you know, give up yeah. all of our technology just because you don't understand and are afraid of it. Yeah, and that, that's a very common complaint from the from the Anarchs in, in, these, in these kind of cities. But they took it, lo- they took it a little bit further, right? Yes, there was something that happened that is currently unknown, where this prince, this Samuel Cartwright, disappeared. And his child, a uh, a woman by the name of Catherine Phillips, is currently the prince who saw the writing on the wall a little bit and made a deal with the various heads of these uprising factions within the city to be like, look, you get your space, but I still get to be prince, so that this way, the people on high don't be like, hey, what's happening in this city? Yeah. They can can still look at it as a a Camarilla city. They can still turn a blind eye to what's happening. Yeah. And that is is a great um, setting, great story, and it makes absolutely perfect sense. Um, In in this time uh, and age, uh, the really, truly old vampires are generally 
either uh, leaving. I don't know if you're running with the beckoning. That's something that's kind of on and off in V5. But really, old vampires feel this com- compelled compulsion to to travel to the Middle East for whatever reason, uh, and they just disappear. This might be it, or something else might have happened to this prince. Because, I mean, obviously, with tempers running high, you have the humanity slowly building the second inquisition, this loose organization of intelligence agencies and uh, all kinds of different factions who are slowly starting to realize that, you know, there's something weird going on here. There's a million different reasons that a prince can just go up and missing. And, I mean, it it, it makes for an excellent start of a chronicle to be like, all right, you're helping this new prince who's fairly young and sort of inexperienced with this whole thing, but you kind of want to make it work because if you don't, the Camarilla is going to come knocking. Uh, Prince Phillips, Prince Catherine Phillips, which they use prince whether male or female or any yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same. Yeah, male, female they them either it's all female simis yeah exactly uh yeah Uh, it's it's a very aged system um she had made alliances deals and stuff to keep the city kind of as it was you know you guys you can have this spot you can have this spot and you can have the spots just kind of manage it yourself yeah yeah exactly uh one of my players, Missy the Malkavian, she is of age of 16-ish. But in Vampire Years, she's got another 25, so she's 41? If I can do some napkin math. Yeah, yeah. And traditionally, the Camarilla really hates forever young vampires because it's a lot more difficult to do just about everything. Yeah, it's it's incredibly hard to hide it. They're walking masquerade breaches. Um, I mean, if you look at the uh, interview with a vampire, you got, uh, what's her name, Claudette? No, uh, Claudia? I've never actually seen it. It's it's a good movie. I can recommend it. Uh, it hasn't aged well, uh, but what movie has? But you have this uh, child vampire. She can't be older than nine or ten, I think. And that's just, um, at some point, you're going to have to figure out a way to hide that. Or not be in public. It's super difficult. You can't drive. You can't sign up for credit cards and bank accounts. It's it's a nightmare. I mean, you can't even work in most places. You can probably yeah. fib your way in some places, but I mean, if you need to work. Yeah, it's it is a nightmare for getting anything done as a vampire because people are immediately throwing a flag. Where if you were, let's say, forever twenty two, it's a lot easier. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Just get a fake ID, you remake your identity every once in a while, fine, easy peasy. Yeah, and that's that's another thing that's a problem for young vampires because older, once you've reached reach a certain age, you have that bank account, you have these contacts, you have you've learned to work the system in your favor to hide yourself. But young vampires, they often have uh, friends, close friends, relatives who will be looking for them or assuming that they're dead. Uh, they will have issues with mon- money because, I mean, even if you don't need to eat, you still got to pay your utilities and your bills uh, unless, again, you're living under a bridge. Uh, but then you're not presentable if you're doing that. So a lot of vampires, when they're fairly new, they're still trying to hold up a job. They're still trying to get their bearings, which is another thing that just makes it really tough to be a young vampire. Mm-hmm. She was embraced right around this time 
and obviously it would not have gone over well. However, the prince in this peacemaking gesture more or less approved everybody that was in the city to to be okay instead of you know sometimes vampires will roll into a city and if the prince and the other people don't know you're there it's like well you're here to poach and to steal from me and to generally make my life harder oh yeah i mean a city is a prince's territory and that is that means a lot. Territory is a huge thing in the empire uh, domain, as it's properly called. Each city is is owned by the prince. The city is the prince's domain, and the prince can decide who gets to live where, who gets to hunt where, who who gets to not be here. And um, with the changes that have been happening uh, lately in vampire history, these things matter even more. Um, and if a vampire intrudes in another's domain without permission. Um, they're actually, the prince is within their right to have them executed if they, you know, don't leave or if they have a specific allowance to be there. And, um, it's really, it's really interesting that, uh, I mean, that's a huge gesture from the, from the new prince to say, "Eh, everyone right now is okay, which obviously is going to earn her a lot of support well earned her maybe in past tense a lot of support from the the young the thin bloods the uh, you know semi-anarchs that might have been in the city people who were just turned and dumped people who were passing through and just trying to find yeah, yeah. some place to lay yeah. their head if the prince is like yo we cool as long as you follow these rules yeah i mean that's very uh magnanimous is that the is that the word you would use uh well, one word I might use is stupid, but also <laughs> it is um it's it's a bold move. Um and if you're a new prince, especially if you're not a very strong prince, it 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 will earn you favors uh for a while, but eventually others might think you're weak and they might use that against you. Very possible. Uh so that's how Missy, who would otherwise be a big issue skirted by through a little bit of luck. Um, As mentioned, Missy is a Malkavian, and Malkavians tend to have, shall we say, issues or a reputation? Yeah. Um, We mentioned briefly the seven clans. Uh, We can go through them very quickly if you want. Uh, I'll try to be brief anyway. Um, And there's, of course, the Ventru that you mentioned, the Blue Bloods. They generally tend to look at their role in vampiric society as a kind of uh, uh, obligation to the people. They're very much like the old school noblemen and women. They they see it as their obligation to help guide their fellow vampires. You got the Malkavians that Missy's part of, and the Malkavians are cursed in some way or another by madness or uh, some manner of um, uh, some manner of disability at this point. Like regardless of what it is it could be uh it could be schizophrenia it could be um bulimia it could be hallucinations it could be uh obsessive compulsive behavior there really is no way to tell uh, but all malkavian vampires have some manner of uh some manner of mental derangement is mental dera- the yeah, yeah derangement derangement is a little bit of an iffy term but i i, I want to say 
uh, mental disability, but it doesn't. It's difficult to say. Um, but but yeah, they they have what is in the game called a derangement. They have some manner of psychological hang up, basically, that can get to them. In Missy's case, she has two friends that are not exactly real, but are real to her. Right, and that's. I mean, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, you also have um, in case of if you if you play Bloodlines, you have. Jeanette and uh, Teresa, who are sisters. Uh, well, maybe I should. It, <laughs> I believe you have game. a Mormon sisters video, don't you? I do. I do have one of those. Uh, it's if a you're curious and not worried about spoilers, that's where you can go. Yeah, yeah. No spoilers. Um, and if you haven't played Bloodlines, if you're listening, go play Bloodlines. It's 16 years old, but it's extremely good. And to go beyond just like, because uh, spoilers for a 16-year-old game, that's kind of weird. There is, uh, LA by Night is an actual play, which also helped me get back into yes. Vampire. Yes, uh, I should have mentioned that. I, that actually also sparked my interest <laughs> again. Uh, the sisters are characters in that. So as that is currently ongoing and knowing the spoiler about the sisters could change how you... Uh, view that actual play production. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, it's being run by Jason Carl, who works at World of Darkness. Uh, I would say LA by Night is an excellent introduction to the setting uh, as well. Um, so definitely worth checking out. You got... Um, technically, it's not really Seven Clans in the Cambrillion. Any- well, it might be, actually. No, no, it's Seven Clans again. Uh, let's, do you want me to go with the ones that are current or the ones that used to be current? Uh, let's skip the Toridor and the Nosferatu because we'll talk about those as from a PC perspective in just a little bit. All right, all right, perfect. So you've got the Tremere. Uh, the Tremere are the warlocks, wizards. They're former mages who essentially decided to become vampire as magic started to become less powerful in the world. They lost their magic, but they've found another way of doing magic. They used to be the strongest clan because they also have a huge issue with clan cohesion. Very, very loyal to the clan. Very secretive. And of course, very powerful, like I mentioned. But they've had a couple of setbacks lately that sort of had them playing second fiddle to the Banu Hakim, which is a fairly new arrival to the Camarilla. The Banu Hakim uh, used to be called the Asimites. They are essentially descended of Hakim, who is chosen by Cain to be the judge of vampires. So they take law very seriously. Uh, they're very, very good at hunting vampires. And um, they are also very, very good at fighting in general, but they're also good poets and artists and things like that. And the Banu Hakim have joined the Camarilla recently. You have the Gangrel, who are loners and outsiders. They're kind of semi in the Camarilla, I would say. They generally don't care much for politics. They have they have a lot of powers that allow them the freedom of travel, which is very rare in vampire society. Because like I said, cities are like nations. Gangrels, a lot of them, older ones, have the ability to meld with earth, like you mentioned before. So they can sleep in the ground during the day, which is very good for them. Um, they've sort of semi-left the Camarilla. The Bruja have left completely. They're in the Anarchs. I can maybe mention them briefly. The Bruja are the philosopher kings. Um, They used to be a much bigger deal. Uh, They were a huge rival to Rome, which was Ventru Malkavian, and they were in charge of Carthage, which was Bruja and Banu Hakim. Uh, But the Bruja, these knights, are mostly Anarchs and rabble-rousers and very emotional, prone to anger. You also have the 
Um, let me see here. You all, I wasn't going to mention the Tuerdor and the Nosferatu, so I'll skip those. But the La Sombra, should I, should I talk about the La Sombra? Uh, sure, why not? Yeah, because so, so that the, brings in some of the Sabbat ideas and stuff. Yeah, the La Sombra recently joined uh, the Camarilla, even more recent than the Banu Hakim, and they were actually the de facto leaders of the Sabbat. But for some reason, uh, the vast majority of the clan has decided to leave the Sabbat, which they helped form, and join the Camarilla instead. And we don't really know why this is. And they're kind of trying to reform in a little bit. Um, they're sort of the shadow side of the Ventru. They're also nobility, but they tend to be more Darwinistic. They tend to be more focused on 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 uh, on uh, winning at all costs and less about honor and things like that. You say for who knows why. I say because they spent 500 years trying to do a thing, and then we're like, you know what? It's not working. Maybe we need to change some things. Yeah, that's actually most likely the reason. Um, because uh, for various reasons, they've gotten they've gotten up close with some of the really old vampires lately, and they might have probably also thought that this is not gonna be as easy to do as we thought. Like you said, um, I get the feeling that I'm missing one of the clans. Let's see here: uh, Bruja, Gangrel, Nosferatu, Malkavian. Tremir, Torador, Vetra. No, no, we only have Nosferatu and uh, Malkavian. No, Nosferatu and Torador left. Cool. Uh, don't worry, anybody who's listening to this, you don't have to know all of these things because they don't all show up. No, you really don't need to know this stuff. It, vampires, much more about personal stuff. Clans, things like that, you can pick that up over time. It's more about personal horror than knowing the names of everything. And boy, howdy, could I tell you some things that have happened, because we've been recording for a hot minute. Um, one of the other positions, because obviously the prince cannot run an entire city by themselves. That's There's too many people, there are too many things to get done, so they have some people that help them out. One of those people is a seneschal, which our city doesn't have. Um yeah. Seneschal is just like your your right hand, your yeah, you don't talk exactly. You don't get to talk to the manager, but you can talk to the assistant manager. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot of princes have a lot of stuff to do, they need to do, and a lot of that stuff might not be very fun or interesting or it might just be too much for one person. So they have a seneschal who's essentially their seneschal, their clerk. Yep, their their second. Their commander Riker. Yep. The next person that I want to talk, the next position I want to talk about is the harpy, the that high school clique of mean girls that you see in every coming of age movie. Yeah, that's the harpy. Uh, they are the people that it's kind of like the social, uh, the social enforcement officer, as it were. Yeah, they they tend to keep tabs on everyone uh, that's part of the Camarilla, that's actively in the Camarilla. Uh, they tend to hang at something called Elysium, which is a prince can call a place Elysium, which means that nobody's allowed to harm another vampire in that area. Um, anyone, any vampire is allowed more or less to go to Elysium and not be under the threat of death. Although, of course, 
is not nearly that easy. But but a harpy keeps tabs on what's going on. They're basically rumor mongers and and the rumor mill. But they also keep tabs on who owes who a favor. They keep tabs on boons, as they're called. And boons are probably the only currency of worth to vampires who are uh, older. Because at that point, money doesn't matter anymore. It's all about favors. For our city, our harpy is one Carol Jackson. Uh, mm-hmm. She is... Well, she appears young, because if you're going to be immortal, you might as well be immortal with looking the best of your life. Uh, in her late 20s, early 30s, she's an, Afri- yeah, she's an African-American woman with frizzy hair. She has a love for street graffiti, hip-hop, and other spec- other aspects along those lines that she was part of when she was mortal. Um, she is of Clan Toreador, which is the artsy-fartsy people. Yeah. Um, so we mentioned, mentioned Bruja briefly. Uh, if English, uh, very good. Uh, we mentioned Bruja briefly earlier and that they're quite emotional. They're prone to bursts of uh, strong emotions. And Toreador is another side of that coin. Toreador like to fancy that they're one of the most humane uh, clans. They have this... Um, kind of almost possessive or obsessive idea about beauty. And no Torador will agree what beauty actually is. But a Torador who sees beauty may actually be so overcome with it that they fall into a kind of a state of trance while looking at it. And Toradors tend to gravitate towards artists, performers, critics as well. Not every Torador is a creator. A lot of them are just uh, poseurs. They don't, they don't actually make anything. They just pretend to. But they are certainly very adept at mingling with humans. That's one of their specialties. They also tend to be princes, too. At least in Europe, they've, they've had a lot of them. It is them in the venture that run most of the cities. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, our stuck perpetually in the 80s player character, is of Clan Toreador. Yeah, he's he. I really liked him. Is it okay if I mention that I really liked how he would describe which song was playing at what point in the story? He's got an entire playlist on the Roll Twenty table of things. Uh, Tom has done a really great job with having a sheet up of '80s slang and some '80s songs that he really enjoys as like the character. Um, he'll never listen to this, so he doesn't need to hear me <laughs> say how he's doing. Um, but Carol Jackson, the harpy, is actually his sire. Uh, she is the one that made him a vampire. Which, oh, yeah. Which is very curious because that puts him in a position where he's got easy connections to somebody who is influential. Yeah, for sure. And they did. Now, maybe I shouldn't spoil anything from the from the episode, but I. I uh, it's yeah. one episode. Yeah, they they had a really interesting interaction. I really enjoyed listening to that part. The the fun part about it for me as a storyteller is that he has the bond slave flaw, which means Ooh. that anytime he drinks any kind of vampire's blood, he's immediately blood bound to them if he was not blood bound to somebody else. I like that one. I like so, blood bound. So he is blood bound to the harpy. And thus, when Carol bats her eyelashes, Jimmy snaps too and immediately goes to do whatever it is that she asks. Beautiful. Which I can't imagine any vampire using that to their advantage and detriment of other people around them. No, that is that is such a good point because uh, 
eventually it's very very rare for vampires to ever like hold on to anything like altruism things like that like we mentioned before and and vampires are highly selfish like losing control over yourself is probably one of the most horrible things to happen to a vampire because that's all they have they only have themselves themselves and the people they put under their thumb yeah yeah exactly um Carol has two official subordinates, assistants. They're usually the, the Harpy's Talons, I believe that they like to call them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, for us, they haven't come up in the recordings thus far, but they are uh, Iago Cavallero, who is a Ventru, and Jessica Freitag, Freitag something like that, uh, who is a Malkavian, and they work for some of the other important people in the city, the Barons that we will talk about in a little bit. Um, to kind of give the surrounding people a little bit of influence in the direct politics. They are like elected representatives of that area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we can skip by them. A, a title that is pretty self-explanatory is the sheriff. Yeah. Um, sheriffs are the, um, it's the seneschal is the judicial enforcer of the prince in some regard. The sheriff is the, uh, uh, how do you say? Well, not not yeah. The sheriff is the judicial. Sorry, the the, the seneschal would be the uh, clerical hand of the prince. The sheriff essentially enforces the the laws of the prince and the traditions. Uh, it is the sheriff's job to make sure that the traditions are followed, that there are no unallowed well. Most of the time that people don't embrace against the prince's wishes, you you need permission to be allowed to create another vampire. Um, they will often be the scourge of uh, thin-blooded vampires, really high generations. Vamp- Essentially, the further away you are from Cain, the weaker your blood is in this setting. So, a, a sh- and uh, by that regard, you will most likely have a little influence in vampire society. A, a sheriff tends to have a pretty good tab on thin-blooded and uh, young, uh, higher generation vampires because they tend to be the troublemakers that the sheriff can deal with. Uh, for our city, we have a gentleman by the name of Vinny the Fish, who is of Clan Bruja. Um, we mentioned them earlier. They have, in addition to being philosopher kings and rabble rousers, they also tend to be quite potent on the physical side. Oh yeah, they're they're excellent fighters. Um, he's his apparent age is about forty five. Um, he's got that kind of dad bod where he was, you know, fit in his twenties, but now he's gotten older and it's kind of got a little doughy, you know, balding, yeah, yeah. little. The the terrible immediate idea and perhaps partial inspiration is Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. <laughs> oh my god. Just put him in a nice suit and make him a little bit more intelligent. Um I like this guy. Yeah, he's he's fun. I like him a lot. Um He was one of the big rabble rousers and one of the big problems amongst the Anarchs where it was like this is bullshit. We want to be treated a little bit more legitimately. And in response, the new prince, uh, Prince Phillips, was like, all right, here's the deal. And to make it so that we can enforce the deal in an air quotes fair way, because nothing in vampire is actually fair, she made him sheriff. So now 
these are the rules that you wanted to abide by. Now enforce them. Cruel. Excellent. Yes. Um, the sheriff has deputies or hounds, which are very much exactly what they sound like. Uh, for us, we have a young gangrel named Elizabeth and uh, Alexei Menev, who is a Nosferatu. Uh, these two people are similar to how Carol had her assistants that were from some of the other important kindred in the city. These two are as well. There is, however, one gray area with people that work for the sheriff, and that is a a young woman by the name of Raven, because, you know, when you're a goth and you become a vampire, you, you take a gothy name. Uh, yeah, as, as one is one to do. Exactly. She is half Japanese. She's into the goth scene. She is in her early 20s physically, but has only been a vampire for a few years. The reason she was embraced is because she's very, very good with technology. And the sheriff needs somebody who is good with technology to do things to enforce the rules. You know, if you don't know about the Facebook or the, the MySpaces, you can't really do anything about it to, to bring down the rules. Yeah, MySpace, Friendster, all those totally up-to-date websites. <laughs> exactly. So while she doesn't technically have any position of actual authority, she is, air quotes, the Camarilla's technological person, um, which puts her in a very interesting place because – you know, I I don't have any official power, but if you want an ear to people in power, I am kind of that person. Yeah, uh, yeah. She also works with things like making new identities and uh, technological enforcements of things, where it's like she proposes the idea later in the story about using ankle monitors like the police use for house arrest to keep track of people. Oh, the Camarillo would be like, oh, well, why would I use technology? It's like, well, this is why you would use technology. You hold up your phone, you're like, boom, there they are. Yeah, I mean, that that's um, that's real interesting, too, because the way I'm seeing Springfield now is this kind of really young city, even though it's Camarilla. Like, it's, it's doing things efficiently. Um, you will find in a lot of other Camarilla cities, there's this kind of technophobia uh, because of events around the second inquisition so that's a, it's an interesting thing too because if you have visiting elders they're probably going to be like what you you have a 20 something year old as a as a more or less a hound what it's most likely one of those things where you can't give her the official position because then yeah, all of yeah. a sudden you know the balance of power shifts in the city um i'm loving it our uh, what's the words? Uh, Elysium that was mentioned earlier. Uh, typically, there is somebody who is in charge of Elysium. They are there to make sure everybody follows the rules, make sure that they are. Uh, what's the words? You're better at this than I am. Oh, please don't. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm assuming you think like that. They, yeah, everyone follows the rules. Everyone uh, keeps up appearances that no uh, unwelcome business is being dealt with. Uh, Keeper of Elysium is usually kind of a punishment uh, because it is probably the most stressful role in vampire society. 
because of course it would be a huge loss of face if uh, an Elysium event uh, went poorly. So if a prince really wants to kind of backhandedly reward someone they don't like, they make them a keeper of Elysium because it's a huge hassle <laughs> to do. And it doesn't really give you much of status. I mean, it, you're in charge of the party, but that means you get to clean up the party afterwards. Yeah, you got to get the catering, you got to get the yeah. location, you got to get the chairs, you got to get the band, you got it's it's a yeah. And I mean if there's a masquerade breach on your on your night, oh, prince is going to have your head. That's your responsibility, bad. it's your domain. Bad bad times. Uh our keeper of Elysium really just goes by keeper, just goes by the title. Uh they are presumed to be a caitiff mostly because they don't exhibit any of the uh, specific aspects of any of the clans. Uh, one of the descriptors we have is they look very Qui-Gon Jinn. So you're thinking like monk robes, you know, that long straight hair. A peaceful look to them. Yeah. A, um, an androgynous body type, kind of just very neutral as a person. But, you know, when you are a keeper of Elysium, occasionally you might have to throw down and oh, yeah. Yeah. bounce somebody, in which case, that's that's their responsibility. So, um, yeah, you we, mentioned, oh, sorry. Okay. So, no, continue. No, go ahead. I was going to move on to the next guy. But. Yeah, we can move on. No worries. Uh, or, but I was thinking, if you wanted to, you kind of explained KTIF, but you've, uh, yeah, I guess we could. We should probably explain what that means because that's a new term. Yeah, KTIF is is a term that basically indicates a vampire who's been embraced but like you said their clan trait their kind of clan flaw hasn't really embodied itself like the Nosferatu for example are born like every time a Nosferatu is created they are twisted they are disfigured they become a monster on the outside uh, they can't hide that uh, a gangrel will eventually develop animalistic traits over time because they have this close connection to their beast uh, the Bruja, of course, prone to anger, prone to becoming, uh, having a frenzy. But a caitiff, even if their sire was a Nosferatu, a caitiff doesn't manifest that. So it's almost impossible to tell what clan they belong to. And in a sense, they don't belong to any clan. Hence caitiff, which is supposed to be mongrel, an old word for mongrel, if I'm not mistaken. And then we get into the other important leaders of the city. In a normal Camarilla city, this would be a primogen council. Somebody who has risen in the ranks of their clan gets this position, and then it's like they're like the highest of whatever flavor vampire they are. And they... Yeah, yeah sorry. Oh, you're good. Uh, and then they form a little advisory circle to the prince. Yeah, uh, the primogen is probably one of the hardest roles in the Camarilla to describe because they don't really have any formalized rules that they're supposed to follow. Um, that's why I had to spend like two videos to explain them. And I still don't think I nailed it. <clears throat> but basically, like you said, they're, they're the representative of their clan and they're part of this uh, council for the prince in that regard. But what power they actually have depends entirely on which city you're in and their relationship with the prince. If the prince is weak, 
or if the primogen are strong, they have a completely different dynamic than the other way around. The, the primogen could literally just be a pop, puppet government in a sense for a powerful prince, or the prince is some kind of figurehead while the primogen makes all the decisions. It really depends on, on the dynamic. It can be a position that the prince appoints, or it can be one that the clan decides upon. It really depends upon the the city oh, yeah. and how they Yeah, exactly. And just like with Prince, literally anyone can say, I'm a primogen. But again, if someone else wants that position and they're more powerful, there might be a might be a hostile takeover. Yeah. It can also be the kind of thing that a prince punishes somebody with. It's like, oh, there's only a handful of, let's say, gangrel in the city, but you, the one who's been a pain in my butt, you get to be in charge of them. Yeah, so if any gangrel screws up, you're the one who's going to have to go talk to them. Good luck with that. Not to mention that you also then have to attend any meeting that I call and any other official functions and responsibilities that I choose to seat you with. Yeah, it's really... It's it's a it's a very interesting tool. Like I've always uh, I've always wanted to run a primogen game because it's such a dynamic role in that regard. <clears throat> and I mean, just because you're a primogen doesn't mean you're also not part of the jihad. You also have your own personal stuff going on. But a lot of your time goes into chasing these young neonates, as they're called, like the recently embraced, trying to fix their issues and hopefully not killing them in the process. <laughs> Well, only the ones that deserve it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's entirely up to you. You're the primogen, of course. Exactly. Although, actually, the destruction of another vampire is technically forbidden. That's one of the traditions. Only the prince is allowed to do that. Or delegate it to someone else. There are a lot of rules for what you're supposed to do, but it's really, what can you not get caught doing? Exactly. Um. So in our city, instead of these primogen, we have barons, which are what the anarchs call their princes, because they need to rebel. They need to have different names for things, because I'm an anarch, so I can't have princes. I have barons. Yeah, exactly. So I have five of them in my city, instead of having uh, a primogen council. One of them is a venture by the name of Pieter Titus Rutger. Um... He's got a bunch of details with him that I will put up a relationship map, and you guys can look at some of these guys, because he has a whole whole thing here. Actually, I should, I should explain this a little bit more. I did a crazy thing that I didn't explain to you yet, so here we go. All right, all right. Back in Shadowrun, when I was recording that, I had a, char- a player character who was looking to pick up a mentor spirit, a... Uh, ethereal teacher or guidance uh, being that is not quite from like our realm. The player couldn't choose between the wolf or the dog. And it's no fun for me to have a puppet show trying to sway their opinion one way or another. So I hit up two friends of mine and I got them to come into the recording and they got to play wolf and they got to play dog. And they got to do whatever it is they wanted because it was an ethereal mindscape of magic and alternate planner stuff. So nothing was really real. And they got to roleplay back and forth to try and make this character choose one way or another. Ooh, I like it. I like it. It was fun because I didn't have to do anything. So I just got to like, all right, here's this and here's this and go. 
So because I don't want to manage this entire city with all of the NPCs by myself, because that, let's face it, that's not nearly as interesting. I have four friends of the show who have created these NPCs and maintain the areas of the city that are under their control. I just had to ask one of them earlier today about a question about a thing that could possibly happen as to whether or not their character would do it. So four other people are also controlling the city, and these are the characters that they control. One of them controls this Venturu, uh, Mr. Rutger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has some people that work underneath him, and yeah. he has... Uh, That's a really clever way of doing it, to getting like... Because, I mean, the decision-making is going to have a lot more of an impact to the story of the game as well, if it's not just arbitrarily you making all these decisions. That was my hope. And it's like like, there are some things in the meta plot for uh, 5th edition that has begun to happen where some of these people, like we mentioned the Lissamber earlier, that are trying to get into the Camarilla was like, I asked them, I'm like, okay, let's say a Lissamber representative comes to Springfield and is looking to get a foothold in the city, some acceptance. How do each of your factions feel about that? And I got feedback. I'm like, right, well, what, how do you guys feel about thin bloods? How do you guys feel about this, that, the other thing? It's interesting to get yeah, different feedback from people. Um, the second one is uh, Geralt Ahem? Ah, yeah. Ahmed. Ahmed, yeah, yeah. Um, he is Egyptian. Uh, let me see if I get more details of him. No, he's just got a whole description here rather than like age and stuff. Uh, he is of Clan Gangrel. And uh, he controls, I believe it's like the northeastern side of the city that has, there's like a college there, there's a zoo there, some other stuff, which was also part of this process was getting these other people who are involved at this meta level to name some aspects of the places of their city, which is cool. Uh, it's like, you know, I want a college, I want this, I want control of this area. Um, coming down next mm-hmm. is a Tremere, Magnus Weschler. Mm-hmm. Uh, pronunciation is not my... No, Weschler, uh, I think that's, that's how it's pronounced, yeah. Uh bunch of details on him. He's got an assistant. It's, it'll all be on the relationship map. Um, he has the northeastern part of Springfield, which has like the big college and a big hospital there. Uh, some medical facilities, which the Tremere love, because it lets them do all of their goofy blood magic stuff. Yeah, I love it. Tremere uh, is my favorite uh, Camarilla clan, by the way. So it's anything with Tremere, I'm just like, yeah. I love this guy. Uh, let's see. The the last two uh, are of Clan Nosferatu. One of them is Abishai. He is... He's got control of some of the more industrial... Oh, kitties being bad. Yeah, cats being cats. Yeah. They've been real assholes over the past, like, month and a half. Oh, no. I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. It's all right. They're still adorable. Um... He has control of some of the industrial district of the city, where production, storage, warehouses, that kind of stuff. He is also one little hop away from where the player characters are 
And as a member of Clan Nosferatu, um, typically really likes trading in information and ideas. Yeah. And then like the, the let. Okay. No, I just like the the connection, the possible connection to Slenderman. I love that. <laughs> uh, and then the last is a second Nosferatu, a Baron Walter, who has almost no territory, except for he has the most important territory because it's the territory where our PCs live. I love it. So he is. Did you ever watch True Blood? I watched the first season. I want to say. So then uh, you know Vampire Eddie. God, it was years ago. I'm not sure I do. He's not quite like Vampire Eddie, but he is He is kind of lazy. Uh, I'll be happy. There'll be a link to the map of the city as well. Uh, I took yeah, the yeah. diplomacy map and uh, used that because they have one where it's like folded into a circle. Um, so his only real place of power is the mall where all of the characters live. It's not exactly it's not exactly it's not exactly a great place, but there is still a little bit of illicit trade that goes on there. There's still some homeless and drug addicts and the forgotten and dregs of society still hang out there. I mean blood's blood, right? Blood is blood. Um I really like the dynamic of the city, and uh, I really like the kind of mesh of uh, Camarilla Anarchs you got going. Uh, it, because I just really like the fact that each city in Vampire the Masquerade can have a completely different dynamic socially. If you look at a lot of the products that are coming, you've got uh, Swan Song, which has this entirely new faction happening, and you've got in the Winter's Teeth comic, you got. Twin Cities in, in uh, Minnesota, yeah. uh, who are one city is Anarch, one city is Camarilla, and they're just like one bridge away from each other, if I'm not mistaken. Something along those lines, yeah. Yeah. So hearing this, like this is a really cool twist on it. And like uh, you've got barons and they're sort of given each a larger district and they're kind of primogen, but they got another tile going. Uh, it's a really cool story, real cool setting. Oh, you're going to make me blush. Yeah, just calling it as I see it. We mentioned earlier that Nosferatu were deformed physically. Yeah, yeah, they're um, there. There's I, I, if I could ever recommend any of the clan books to get, I would get the revised Nosferatu book because it's one of the best books they've ever written. Um, and the Nosferatu are uh, unique in that they are, of course, forced to hide. Uh, from humanity even more so than any other vampires because they cannot look human. They can disguise themselves, but that costs some blood and it's kind of flimsy. Uh, there's a discipline that allows a power to allows them to, to hide their appearance, but almost Ferrato in one way or another look monstrous. Uh, some might look more so than others, but none, like if you put them in front of you and you light up their face, there's no way you'd think they were human. And Art, our terribly accented, not actually Russian player, uh, I couldn't tell. <laughs> um, is of Clan Nosferatu. He is a little bit on the sides of like trying to do the clan right because when you have the ability to turn invisible the way that Nosferatu tend to do, and how they tend to prioritize that because when you're hideous and your very appearance can raise, you know, yellow and red flags. 
being able to not be seen is very powerful. Yeah, for sure. An interesting aspect of their clan is also that uh, a lot of people would argue that the Nosferatu are probably the most, uh, if not human, then the most honest. Every single clan will say that they're the most human. But the Nosferatu, because they are ugly on the outside, uh, they kind of stop pretending, I guess. And in that sense, sort of retain more of their humanity in some regard. They, they, They don't pretend to be something they're not. Exactly. You are pretending that you are not a monster. I am a monster. Yeah. And once I've accepted that, I can actually get on with my life and <laughs> do something productive. Exactly. Um, art is very technologically inclined as Nosferatu of the younger generations tend to be. Uh, part of the reason why they are brought into the clan, and in particular in his case, is part of the reason he was brought in, was because of his uh, capabilities with technology and information acquisition and distribution yeah and and nostrata are also sort of universally known as the spies and um secret traders of the camarilla they usually keep tabs on on a lot of things they tend to have hidey holes and secret tunnels and recording devices and they used to have this global um sort of alternative to the internet called the shreknet but that's unfortunately not a thing anymore uh, due to some human intervention. Arguable. Theoretically, was a vampire who leaked everything, and then all of a sudden... Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's there's theories, there's theories, but, but yeah, it was the vampire's fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's just more proof that, you know, you shouldn't have technology. Exactly. Don't mess around with it. Just go back to beating rocks together. That's that's the level of technology we, we need in the Camarilla. Exactly. If you can't do it with your own two hands, it doesn't need to be done. Yep. Our fourth player is currently a mortal. She is... uh, Her nickname is Coco. Her name is uh, Portia Lindsay Bellingham, I believe. Um, She's into street art, graffiti, drugs, and has a little bit of a like trust fund set up by her father where it's like, all right, you're a little bit of an embarrassment, but if you just kind of keep over there and just don't, don't get in the news. Yeah. yeah. You'll, you'll grow out of it. Which gotta say, I love my players because they, they give me things because as we noticed earlier, when we were talking about the harpy, a miss Carol Jackson, she is also into street art and graffiti and that culture. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. And I can't um, imagine what might happen should they meet. Oh, no idea. <laughs> but it's it's really I like that having ties between player characters, having ties with the NPCs, and especially having those ties come up in game rather than being predetermined. Because um giving players input into how these relationships develop and form is a really, really nice way of playing a game. The relationship map was something that I didn't really get as far as the mechanics of the system before we did it. Yeah, it's it's surprisingly helpful and very like it gives you a great overview. Um, it's difficult to pull it off well online, I felt, but there are tools for that, like um, Kumo or yeah, K U M U dot I O. 
Ecumo. It's really, really useful tool. Like I made one for my Stockholm by night and oof, that one had a lot of faces on it. I am being lazy and only have the basics on there for now. And then as episodes are released, I will continue to update it. That's not lazy. That's efficient. <laughs> um, what we did was we had our session zero. And then after discussing some things and coming up with the idea of the mall and their garbage baron, because, you know, vampires love power yeah. and having it. So if I put a, a garbage person in charge of them, well, that just gives them the uh, the impetus to, you know, have an accident happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you put some cheese before in front of a mouse; they're gonna they're gonna go for it. Yeah, it's it's there, it's brewing, but not yeah. yet. Yeah, I mean, it's also it's also good to to have all these options too, because the players might just decide that they're gonna, I don't know, they're gonna reform this bastard and they're going to help them become a better person. You never know with players. Uh, you can't trust them. They're the worst. <laughs> Games would be so much better if there just weren't any players in them. They could only do exactly what I needed them to do. Yeah. Uh, the pains of being a storyteller. Right. Sarcasm, by the way. Clear sarcasm. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> I mean, any, um, any game that runs the way I plan it to do usually finishes way too early anyway. So, I don't prep. Wow, that's 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 brave of you. You're a brave man. But it, um, if it works, it works. Yeah, it, so far it's worked. Um, so that is a little bit of the lore, and a little bit of an overview of our city, and some of the things that are that are happening. Um, unfortunately, due to Alien, we were gonna release, start releasing Vampire around Halloween when Call of Cthulhu wrapped up. But then in July, Vampire uh, Free League Enterprises Press. Free League, Free League, yeah, Free League. Um, they released the Destroy of Worlds box set, which then we were like, "Ooh, yeah, they so do that." Then we pushed Vampire back until after Alien, so we have almost a year of backlog. So we're going to start trying to burn through some of that to catch up because there have been things that, oh my god. <laughs> It's got to it's got to have been really painful having this conversation with Mimi like, "Oh, I wish I could talk about that." I mean, we haven't actually released any episodes yet, so I can't talk about anything. Hey, I'm really uh, looking forward to hearing about it. I am looking forward to to everybody hearing it and to getting this out here because we have done podcasts for like 3 years now. Um and this this is different for all of us. Most of us don't have any experience in tabletop RPGs of the, the World of Darkness franchise. No mage, no werewolf, no vampire, no no none of it. Um, yeah, but I mean, vampires is an excellent way to start. And yeah. um, as long as you stay away from Hunter, that's going to have a good time. <laughs> I have opinions about that game. <laughs> that is 100% fine. Um, I'm curious to see what they do with the 5th editions of a lot of things. Oh yeah, because, for sure. Like, I think they want to try and bring it together because they have all of these different games and they don't really work to to cross them. No, that was always a problem. Um, like theoretically, uh, technically it worked. They were sort of built on the same system, but they were just completely different. I think even even if you had you could you could sort of fix the power disparity disparity. Uh, disparity. 
but the themes of the games were so different that it was really hard to run a multiple splat thing like, like different source books because mages were all about like personal achievement and growth and vampire was all about like all oh, what we've been talking about and werewolf is about saving the planet and getting rid of corruption you know it just, like where like vampires yeah exactly it's kind of hard to mesh these together well um but there is a if you played the um, Night Road, this text-based game that came out last year. I believe it was last year, which is where you're playing a vampire courier in uh, southwestern, no, sort of U.S., uh, Texas. I don't know. I don't know U.S. geography. Sorry. Uh, not well. Um, but they're making a second game where you're actually playing vampire hunters. You're playing teenagers who are trying to bring down vampires, I think. Bunch and, of meddling kids. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. And the third one's going to be basically high high court Camarilla politics. So I'm super excited for that one as well. There have been a lot of video game releases in the World of Darkness thing. There's been Coteries of New York, Shadows of New York, uh, Heart of the Forest, Earthblood, Night Road. Yeah, and a bunch of card games, board games. I still haven't unboxed my heritage that I got like three months ago. I'm going to do a video on that soon. Um, but they're doing the Games Workshop kind of thing where they're just throwing, uh, they're, they're letting people work with their IP. And, you know, you get good stuff out of it. You're probably going to get a lot of bad stuff out of it too. But that stuff will just, it'll disappear. But the good stuff is going to stick and it's going to be good. It's very true. Hopefully, anyway. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, is there anything you want to ask me about the city? Oh, man, Wh- which state is it in? I kind of got like a New York, up upstate New York vibe. Went with a northeastern like Maine, uh, oh, yeah, Connecticut, yeah. Massachusetts, place, yeah. up in that area, close to Montreal. Um, I don't like to nail things down because when you nail things down, you can't change it. Why not just do it like Springfield and The Simpsons in, in neighbors, uh, Washington, uh, Maine, uh, Texas, and Florida? The Simpsons is why we named it Springfield. Beautiful. Perfect choice. Exactly. I also tried real hard not to nail down what year we were in until uh, they went and looked up to see whether or not Halloween was a full moon. And turns out it was in 2020. So all of a sudden we're in 2020. Ah, right, right, right. Jerks. But I mean, you can always fiddle around with that. Oh yeah. I guess an important thing is we're ignoring Corona and we're ignoring the political landscape of 2020. I think I, 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 my personal take on it is that World of Darkness doesn't need more darkness in it. That's uh, a good take. Yeah, but it's also like you could totally, like, I don't want to shit on anyone's parade. Like, if you or rain on anyone's parade for that matter. Um, but personally, I always feel like I probably couldn't handle those topics that well myself. So, and 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 I'm also worried about like bleed you know, out of game opinions going in game and vice versa and people getting upset at each other because it's a game. You're supposed to have fun together. Exactly. For me, for us, this is a, when we sat down to start this project, start the podcast as the podcast itself, we went into it with the idea that this is an auditory product. Yeah. We're not just a group of people who are sitting down recording their game and shotgunning it out there. 
No, that that's that's admirable. Like adding adding sound effects, adding f- fully work, right? That's the word for it. Yeah. Uh, music, like acting, like really try doing your best. That's the stuff that's going to shine through. The intro music was done by the Lord by Night guy. Ooh. Yep. Yeah, he's he's very talented with music. Yes, he is. He does a good job, and it was quick too. Like. Within a week, yeah, I had. Yeah. He, he works like he's like a machine when he does stuff like that. I wish oh. I had his. I wish I had his uh, his work ethics. Well, I wish somebody else did my work for me too. But <laughs> um, oh yeah, you got you involved. Uh, I got Matthew Dawkins to do the rules thing. Mm. Um, I had reached out to a couple other people that didn't respond back to me, but you know everybody is busy. Um, to just kind of like. I know that I will very much not be a pillar of the community because we are the new people on the vampire block. You never but, know. You never know. Um, but it was cool to get other people that are in the vampire circles involved and to talk about some stuff. Yeah, I mean, I had a great time here. I hope I wasn't talking too much because, as you can probably tell, once you get me going, it's pretty hard to get me <laughs> to shut up. Oh, no, it's fine. I, uh, Man, I completely lost my train of thought there. But it's really cool that you're you're reaching out to other content creators in this community. Like something I realized pretty early on is that like the World of Darkness pond is not really that deep or wide or anything like that. It's it's a pretty tight knit community. Uh, you got a couple of clicks, obviously, but uh, pretty soon you get to you at least get to recognize a lot of people in the community and produce quality content, have fun while doing it, and I mean. I don't know. I I when I sat down two years ago to make my videos, I was like, I don't think anyone's gonna watch this stuff. But surprise, surprise, trades on me. I was wrong. For now, I mean, at any point, people might just go, ah, whatever. No, it's it's crazy when you become a content creator and you start getting those messages about how much people enjoy or it helped or something yeah, along those yeah, lines. That's the best part of it. Yeah, it's like, wow, I'm actually doing something that makes a little bit of a difference. I mean, I always get that sharp pang of anxiety, like, holy shit, are you looking at my stuff for that? <laughs> like, right. look at Matthew Dawkins and stuff. He writes for the game, you know. But um, uh, it's it's really nice. And I think, I think World of Darkness is so good uh, that it doesn't deserve disappearing. Um, I want to help preserve it, especially the older books. I mean, it's it's never been as easy to get them as it is now with print on demand and PDF from Drive Through RPG. But um, back when I stopped playing, like if you missed buying a book, you'd have to maybe get it secondhand, and even then, you might not be able to find it. Like I've I've done some um, I've done some digging around. I got the original Princess Primer, which is like early second edition. You can't get that book almost anywhere. Yeah, uh, oh God, um, Knight Heresies cost me an arm and a leg to get that one um they're great books and uh very like extremely well written um, almost all of them not all of them but you know yeah they can't all be winners no they can't especially when you view it through the lens of you know 20 to 30 years later oh yeah, yeah, yeah. there's um i i i feel like a vampire has vampire has aged like fine wine in most regard werewolf has aged like sour cheese because <laughs> because werewolf is a little bit satirical 
and a little bit kind of like tongue in cheek at places, and that does not age well. I'm afraid. <laughs> no, the uh, time marches ever onward, unless you're a vampire. Yes, exactly. Sure, vampires are always in style. I'm sure werewolves <laughs> are angry about that. I mean, look, you can't always wear fur. That's what it's it comes true, down to. True. Uh, but we will continue on with this, I'm sure, for hours in the future if we don't wrap it up and cut it off. Yeah, here. God, we got it. It's. Oof. I've been. <laughs> I just checked the. I just checked the time. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for coming on. If you want to shill anything at the end, please feel free to do so. Uh, links for everything that he mentions will be in the description on the website or wherever it is that you are listening to this. Yes, uh, thank you so much. I will. I guess I will show my my uh, YouTube page, which is the Primogen. Um, you can just Google the Primogen, or yeah, you can actually you can just Google the Primogen, which is a feat. Uh, I'm very happy about. Um, if you want to watch the videos, uh, I do videos with like very mild graphics in them, so you don't really need to watch them. You can listen to them. And if you just want to listen, I'm on Spotify, I'm on iTunes, and pretty much any other i any other podcast uh, platform. The issue is, however, that I'm a little bit behind. When I say a little bit, I'm like 30 episodes behind on uploading. So um, once you finish those, go ahead and join the crowd of people poking at me to, to get on that. And I promise I will uh, soon. I've just been extremely busy these last couple of months. <laughs> As Matt Colville said in a video, last week was a really long month. God, yeah. Last week was a really long year. <laughs> very true. Oh, thank you for having me, though. This was really fun. I'm very much looking forward to listening to your podcast on, on this. And I'm going to go check out your backlog. Oh, no. This is so much. I don't worry about it. I got time. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank everybody for listening. Thank everybody for checking out the the other primers, the welcome, and then the episodes, and even the backlog. If you want to go back and check out some other games, uh, there is also a link to all of our stuff in the, next to his stuff, uh, including a link to our Discord. If you want to come hang out, there's a bunch of people on there. We talk about different things and have a bunch of different channels, and it's actually pretty active for the most part. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm there too. I'm not very active, but I'm there. <laughs> That's fine. I'm, I'm not very active anywhere. I, I tend to have, I tend to get a little bit intimidated by larger uh, Discord channels. I get like, oh, lots of people. No, it's fine. They're mostly harmless. Mostly. <laughs> All right. Have a good night, everybody, and thank you for listening. Take care. <laughs>